Be with us, Lord, we pray, that we might hear your word clearly, follow you more nearly, and love you more dearly, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. If you've ever been the parent of an adolescent, you'll know that at some stage they will eventually say to you, you know, you really do treat me like a child. I'm actually very responsible. And I can make decisions for myself. I'm not a baby, you know. And of course, they always say this about three to four years before it's actually true. So invariably, you end up saying something like this. This morning, you miss doing your chores because you are late getting out of bed. You then spent breakfast time teasing your brother. You then forgot to take your lunch to school and your bedroom looks like a bomb shelter that's taken a direct hit. And then comes the immortal words spoken by every parent since Adam and Eve. And you say, I shall treat you like an adult when you start behaving like an adult. Who's never said that? And that's pretty much what Paul is saying to the Corinthians. Far from being spiritually mature, Paul tells them that they're actually mere infants in Christ. He's had to feed them milk rather than solid food. They're still engaging in jealousy and quarrelling and like bickering children. Now they knew that Paul was their spiritual father. It was he who had first told them the gospel. It was he who had planted and established the church in Corinth. But Paul's moved on now. He's now in Ephesus planting another church. And in Paul's absence, they've spread their wings a bit. They now consider themselves to be rather mature, like kids left at home alone for a while. They were starting to see within themselves some qualities that they considered rather impressive, even spiritual. And some of the new leaders within the church were actually encouraging them. Not only were the new leaders far more encouraging than Paul, they were frankly far more charismatic and articulate. Now Paul knew that he wasn't flashy, but he was faithful. And he knows that faithful is the sort of leader that God wants. So he writes to the Corinthians and he warns them of the dangers that they're in. He tells them that they sh what they should really be expecting from all their leaders. Chapter 3, he tells them that faithful leaders are servants who preach the gospel of the cross. In chapter 4, he tells them that faithful leaders live their lives in view of the cross. And when they do, they'll be considered fools for that very reason. Have a look at chapter 3 from verse 5. Paul there is saying that both he and Apollos are simply servants of God. They have one purpose but different roles. Paul's planted the church and Apollos has watered it to help it grow. Now think about this for a moment. If you put a seed in the ground and it does grow, no one is going to think that you're a genius. I mean, that's what seeds do. And if you watered it and it grew, again, who's going to think that somehow this is amazing? It's not. If you can get a plant to grow, it's not because you're a miracle worker, it's because you're a gardener. Of course, 
A miracle has occurred, but it's not your miracle, it's God's. The seed has come to life and it's grown. So as Paul says in verse 7, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. Christian leaders are merely servants doing their job. God alone gives the increase. And if you ask, well, who should Christian leaders serve? Well, the answer is that they should serve God's people. But primarily, they're servants of God. It is to God that they are accountable first and foremost. But Paul, well, he's been called to account by the church in Corinth. He's been tried by them and found to be wanting. The Corinthians had judged him to be weak and foolish. And now, they much prefer their new leaders. The new leaders were impressive orators and they had a message that was culturally attuned, even sophisticated. How dare Paul call them immature, babes in Christ. Hmm. But Paul's undaunted, he wants to make it really clear that God alone is his judge. If any new leaders come along and want to build, they have to build on what's already established. And what has Paul established in Corinth? Well, it's a church built on Christ Jesus. Try building a church on anything less and it won't last. The reason that the Inverell Parish is still here after 140 years is because faithful men and women have gone before us. And I'm not talking mainly about ministers. I'm talking about all of God's servants, and especially the leaders in our church, the sorts of people that lead our many ministries and serve on parish council. The church is established through the gospel ministry of servant leaders, and it's built upon the foundation of Christ Jesus the Lord. Worldly wisdom and the cult of personality can never be a substitute for the gospel. And no matter how impressive a church may seem, if Jesus Christ is not the chief cornerstone, if the teachings of the apostles and the prophets are not its central message, then in God's eyes it amounts to nothing. On Judgment Day, what's worldly and superficial in our church and in our lives will be burnt up like wood and hay and straw. And though real Christians will always be saved, many will come through fire and will not as refined metal, but as looking rather scorched and smelling rather smoky. And that's exactly what the Corinthian Christians were in danger of. Their judgments were superficial and shallow. They failed to realise that every gift that they had, and they had many, was just that. It was a gift. It was a gift from God. So they had no reason to boast, and they had no reason to think that they, or any leaders in God's church, were anything other than God's servants. As Paul says to the Corinthians in chapter 4 from verse 6, 
He says, brothers and sisters, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you might learn from us the meaning of the saying, don't go beyond what's written. Then you'll not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you didn't receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you didn't? Now, so far in Paul's argument, I think that I could persuade the average Australian that mature leaders, Christian or otherwise, should be servants of God, or at the very least, servants of the people. And if leaders are servants, then they do that best by remaining humble. No tall poppies allowed. However, the next part of Paul's argument is a little bit harder to swallow. For even though, as Australians, we are in favour of humility, we still want to maintain large doses of indignation. We think of ourselves as humble, but God help anyone who thinks themselves better than we are. We're totally convinced that we're as good as the next man. But Paul's actually saying something really quite different. He's saying that to be spiritually mature, to be a leader in God's kingdom, then you have to be prepared to be considered a fool for the gospel and worse. With large doses of irony, Paul contrasts the apostles with those who consider themselves spiritually mature and wise. He says from verse 9, We apostles, well, we're like men condemned to die in the arena. We've become a spectacle to the world and to angels and men. We're fools for Christ, but you're so wise in Christ. We're weak, but you're strong. You're honoured, but we're dishonoured. And from there, well, it only gets worse. In verse 13, Paul describes true Christian leaders as being like the scum of the earth and the garbage of the world. Hardly flattering, is it? If you're a servant leader of any ministry in the church, then that's worth thinking about. The contrast with how the Corinthians viewed themselves and their new leaders, well, it couldn't have been more stark. And this goes to the heart of their problem. They thought that they had arrived spiritually. They thought that they were now living in the fullness of God's salvation. They thought that they ought to be receiving every blessing that God had to offer right now. Health, wealth and prosperity... It's not the false gospel of the 20th century. It's at least as old as the 1st century. But the truth then, as it is now, is that the fullness of God's salvation will not be realised until Christ returns in glory. God's purposes are not complete until Christ establishes his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Until then, we preach Christ crucified. We can't leave the cross behind. We have to continue to proclaim its message. But we also have to expect that we will share the experience of the cross. Only if we die with Christ shall we rise with Christ. 
weakness and suffering and derision are very much a part of our fallen world. And Christ calls us to share in his suffering if we are to share in his glory. Worldliness and triumphalism are not the clarion calls of Christian discipleship. And yet these are the very things that gave the Corinthians false expectations. They thought that spiritual maturity and Christian leadership should look rather impressive. And as far as they were concerned, Paul didn't fit the mould. The model of leadership that did impress them was the new leaders in the church, brash and triumphant. Clearly the Corinthians had lost sight of Christ and the cross. They'd wandered from the path that Jesus took to glory. They'd wandered from the very same path that Jesus calls us to travel. If we are faithful to Christ, then we will suffer and we will be rejected by many. And not only are we servants who proclaim the cross, we are fools, at least in the eyes of the world, fools who live the cross. And what Paul lays down in these two chapters is the, Corinthian, is the Christian model of leadership. And it's as true now as it was in the first century. And from what Paul has taught us, there's three warnings that I think we should heed in our churches today. Firstly, we should always value faithfulness above success. God only ever calls us to be faithful. And if there is success, it will only ever be by his measure. If we let the world set the criteria for success, then we put our leaders under tremendous pressure to perform. If our expectations are unreasonably high, then we'll be constantly dissatisfied and our leaders will be doomed to fail. Very few of God's servants have exceptional abilities. Mostly God calls very ordinary people to leadership and he entrusts them with a very extraordinary gospel. Their task is to be faithful in planting and watering and God will give the increase. Secondly, if we do happen to have exceptionally gifted men and women in our church, and we do, then we should encourage them and thank God for them. But we shouldn't put them on a pedestal. It puts them under extreme pressure to perform and can only lead to disappointment or hero worship. And that was the idolatry of the Corinthians. By all means, we ought to honour our Christian leaders, but our focus must always be on God. It is God the Father who causes our church to grow. It is God the Son who is our one foundation. And it is God the Holy Spirit who inhabits the church. As Christians, we belong to one another because we first belong to God. And lastly, we are all to embrace the message of the cross. We have no choice but to insist that there is no other way to get right with God. And we shall do this even if our claim is dismissed as naive or ignorant or even arrogant. 
And as we embrace the message of the cross, we shall choose to live under its shadow. We shall accept that even though we are heirs of all the promises of God in Christ Jesus, that we are not yet in the fullness of our salvation and that suffering is inevitable for those who are called to be godly and faithful in Christ Jesus the Lord. Let's pray. Our Lord God, we thank you that you have granted to us on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him but also to suffer for him. Help us to take up our cross daily, following Christ our Saviour, being joyful in hope, patient in affliction and faithful in prayer. May we be ever looking unto Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and scorning its shame and is now seated at your right hand in glory. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb of God be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. Amen.